1: Welcome to the Humanist Report Podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo and this is the 135th edition of the program and today is Thursday, March 22nd and as you can see we are in our brand new studio and I couldn't be more excited about this. This is a little bit weird for me if I'm being honest because I usually don't have this much space for my arms and my hands but I can actually I can move around. Uh, and not really worrying about knocking things over. <laughs> and additionally, it's kind of weird getting used to everything because we're working with new equipment. And for those of you who know me really well know, I am a complete idiot when it comes to technology and learning to use new technology. So it's a little bit intimidating, but at the same time, this is incredibly exciting. So thank you all so much to our GoFundMe backers who decided to contribute to our new studio. I will be thanking you all individually in a separate video that is uh, different from this episode, but we do have to thank people who fund the show usually, and that is our Patreon and PayPal contributors. And this week, we have Christian Wallen, Ilari Suomalainen, Isadora Diamond, Kathleen Lowy, Jonathan MacIrie, Pete Dion, Sarah Storm Fralick, and Yol Sanchez. So, thank you so much to all of these kind individuals. If you'd also like to support the podcast, you can visit humanistsupport.com/support. Or check out patreon.com forward slash humanist report. So on today's episode, first of all, we'll talk about the plethora of states now fighting to protect net neutrality, and I'll give you guys a glimpse as to who's joining the upcoming lawsuit against the FCC and who's choosing to defend the FCC. Another billionaire finds success in politics, but this time on the Democratic Party's side. Also on this episode, Rand Paul shows Democrats how to actually resist Donald Trump. And at a town hall about income inequality, Bernie Sanders called out the mainstream media. We'll talk about what he had to say. Also, Trump is eliminating animal welfare rules, and he's loosening restrictions on trophy hunting. And finally, on this episode, I will give you guys the new studio tour that I promised you all once we started the campaign to build a brand new studio. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. So I've got a huge update regarding net neutrality, and really, we've got fantastic news. So as you've seen over the course of the last couple of months, little by little, we have some states, some governors, some attorneys general taking action to protect net neutrality. And now when we step back and look at all of the progress that states have made, it's now the case that more states have taken action to protect net neutrality than states that haven't. And now, dozens of states and a total of nearly 70% of the country's overall population lives in states that are fighting to protect net neutrality. So, as you can see from this map here, there are just 13 states that haven't taken any action whatsoever to protect net neutrality. But overall, you can see the various ways that other states are fighting to protect net neutrality. So, let me give you a little bit of details about this map's key. So, black means that... That state passed a law protecting net neutrality fully. And at this point, only one state has done that thus far. And that is Washington. However, Oregon is currently dark gray, meaning that both legislative chambers has in fact passed legislation, and the governor of Oregon, Kate Brown, is expected to sign that into law. So Oregon is expected to become the second state to switch to black, and California may soon be switching to dark gray because they are currently weighing a bill to protect net neutrality as well. Now, additionally, orange means that a governor has stepped up to protect net neutrality via executive order in that state. Brown means that a state's attorney general has joined Eric Schneiderman's lawsuit to sue the FCC. And green, this is another rare thing, means that various municipalities in that state has moved towards public broadband. And currently, Colorado is the only state with more than 100 municipalities that has decided to sign up for public broadband, although Hawaii may become from the next state because they are considering statewide public broadband, and blue means that a net neutrality bill was introduced by a lawmaker from that state. Now, by looking at this map, as you can see, there are quite a bit of states that are blue, so it doesn't necessarily mean that that law will be passed, but it means that at least one lawmaker in that state sees the importance of protecting net neutrality. Now, again. I want to reiterate the importance of the domino effect, because when Washington, Washington state, that is, passed net neutrality legislation, more states began to immediately follow suit. We have Oregon now on the cusp of passing net neutrality, and we have California considering even tougher legislation than the state of Washington, which then had the toughest uh, net neutrality law proposed in the entire country when it passed, but now we see 28 states in total Moving in Washington's direction, and that includes the state of Alaska, California, as I mentioned, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. And of course, there's some overlap because in those states where a lawmaker has proposed a bill to protect net neutrality, well, in some cases, that state's governor has already signed an executive order guaranteeing that net neutrality will be preserved. And that now is at five states in total, including Hawaii, Montana, New Jersey, New York, And Vermont. Now, if your state's lawmaker, if your governor hasn't taken action to preserve net neutrality, then it may be the case that your attorney general has. Because in 23 states, attorneys general have signed on to sue the FCC and join New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman's lawsuit. And this includes California, Connecticut, Delaware, DC, Hawaii, Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Mississippi. Minnesota, Montana, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, and Washington State. And if you live in a state that hasn't done much to protect net neutrality, maybe it's the case that you live in a city where your mayor has decided to protect net neutrality because there is a Mayors for Net Neutrality coalition featuring 11 mayors. This includes Bill de Blasio from New York City, Steve Adler from Austin, Texas, Ted Wheeler from Portland, Oregon, Ron Nirenberg from San Antonio, Texas, Sly James from Kansas City, Missouri, Mark Farrell from San Francisco, California, Catherine Pugh from Baltimore, Maryland, Barney Saini from Putnam, Connecticut, Paul Soglin from Madison, Wisconsin, Sam Liccardo from San Jose, California, and Jacob Frey from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And again, I want to emphasize that some states are not only protecting net neutrality in one way, they're doing it in a multitude of ways. So some states have their governor, their attorney general, and lawmakers teaming up to protect net neutrality in different ways. So this is huge. So at this point, if you live in a state that hasn't done at least one thing to protect net neutrality, or if you don't even have one lawmaker that decided to introduce legislation to protect net neutrality, then... You really have to take action because if you don't have a state that's going to act soon, well, Ajit Pai's anti-net neutrality order will go into effect, I believe, at the end of April. So things are getting serious and this is why a lot of states are acting. Now, there's currently only 11 states that haven't done anything to preserve net neutrality. This includes Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Indiana, Louisiana, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. So in all 13 of those states, not even one lawmaker decided to introduce a bill to protect net neutrality. That, to me, is completely unacceptable. How can you not have a single lawmaker from either party stand up for a bipartisan issue that's incredibly popular, where it, the overwhelming majority of the American people will be on your side. Makes no sense, but those 13 states haven't done anything, so if you live in one of those states, call your state senator, call your state representative, and make sure that he or she knows that you're paying attention, and when it comes time for their reelection, you're not going to have their back if they're not going to have your back, and furthermore, if you don't have a lawmaker who's representing you nationally in the Senate or in the House of Representatives that is refusing to sign on to the Congressional Review Act to nullify the FCC's repeal of net neutrality, which, was be- which would be the easiest way to preserve net neutrality, then you also need to call him or her and let them know that they need to take a stand. But I want to make this video about states because I am so proud of the progress all of these states have made to protect net neutrality. Now, I want to focus on three states in particular because there's a lot going on and I think it's important that we kind of dive into the details and explore what's happening. So, when it comes to the state of California, they're considering a bill so strong, if it passes, it would actually go beyond the original Title II protections that the FCC passed in 2015. So, as Clint Finley of Wired reports... California State Senator Scott Weiner on Wednesday introduced a bill that would create a regime in some ways more strict than the Obama-era rules against blocking, throttling, or otherwise discriminating against content. Most important, Weiner's bill, if passed, would in many cases ban broadband providers from exempting certain content from data limits, a concept known as zero rating. For example, AT&T would no longer be allowed to exempt its DirecTV Now video streaming service from its customer. Data caps while counting data consumed by competing services like Sling TV, the FCC claimed authority to regulate the practice on a case-by-case basis, but never took formal action against it. This would be a monumental victory for net neutrality because even when we had Title II net neutrality on the books, well these companies who are so greedy were finding a roundabout way to violate net neutrality. And the way that they were doing in this is they weren't treating all web traffic equally, not by blocking or throttling, but by simply allowing their own content to not go towards their customers' data caps. So if you're not treating all content equally, if you're trying to discourage people from using certain types of web apps or services, you're violating net neutrality. And the FCC, even under Obama's administration, well, they didn't really go after this in the way that they should, but California here is making sure that they have the power to do away with this sort of zero-rating scheme, which, honestly, it's it's a violation of net neutrality. Now, when it comes to the state of Alaska, they have two bills that's being considered, one in the House and one in the Senate, and as Annie Zack of Anchorage Daily News reports— Two bills working their way through the legislature would prevent internet service providers in Alaska from slowing down or blocking access to whichever lawful websites they choose and prohibit paid prioritization of certain sites. Now, the House version of this bill, which is Bill 227, has co-sponsors from the Democratic Party, and the Senate version, which is Bill 160, has bipartisan support, reportedly. So, it's looking pretty good in Alaska, so certainly, there's some momentum there. You just need to push them in the right direction, so you live in that state. Please make the calls needed to get this codified into law. Now, when it comes to the state of Oregon, which is my state, Michael Gillette of Oregon Live explains that the Oregon House and Senate both passed a bill protecting net neutrality and the governor is expected to now sign it into law however this will obviously open the door to a lawsuit against the state for violating the fcc's preemption rule and yes that is technically true by passing laws protecting net neutrality these states are opening the door to them being sued by the fcc or the federal government but the alternative is to do nothing so, should they just do nothing and worry about getting sued, or should they take action, protect net neutrality, and then bolster our own argument and even our own legal argument, arguably? because more states are signing up to protect net neutrality. I mean, that's obviously the right course of action. If the FCC wants to fight each of these states, then so be it. But if you're a lawmaker, you have a responsibility to take action for your constituents, and that's exactly what Oregon lawmakers are doing, and I applaud them for it. So here's what we have to do now. We can't just sit back and be excited about the fact that dozens of states are fighting to protect net neutrality because the only reason why they're doing this is because we've continued to keep pressure on them ever since the FCC did vote to repeal net neutrality on December 14th of last year. But we have to keep the momentum going. So, Not only do you need to call your state lawmaker, but you also need to call who represents you in the United States Senate and House of Representatives to make sure that that individual signs on to the Congressional Review Act's joint resolution to nullify the FCC's repeal of net neutrality. If we could do that, all this action at the state level, it won't even really be necessary because that would just undo the FCC's December vote. But still, we can't bank on... Congress doing the right thing, because obviously, as it stands now, there's only 50 co-sponsors of the CRA in the Senate, which means that it'd be a tie, Mike Pence would come in, probably break that tie. And there'd be no chance that it gets to Donald Trump's desk. Now, in the event it does get to Donald Trump's desk, is he going to sign that into law? Absolutely not. But it still will elevate this uh, this issue to a national level, hopefully garner maybe a little bit of mainstream media coverage, um, give us a break from hearing about Russia and Stormy Daniels and Don Jr. and his wife. I mean, this is a really important issue. The mainstream media has completely failed us here. They have not Talking about this issue, they casually mentioned it a couple of times once it was repealed, but most of the segments, you guys all saw the videos I did, were negative. They were against that neutrality or presented the issue in a skewed manner to suggest that this was a battle between a giant tech companies like Comcast and Verizon versus Google and Facebook. That's not the case. This is the people. People versus these gigantic corporations and a rogue FCC chairman named Ajit Pai, who's only doing the bidding of his former and future employer. So, if we want to fight to protect net neutrality, then we have to take action, and it's easy. You just got to make some calls, Um, and if you really can, make a huge difference and show up to uh, your representative or senator's office, because nothing Tells them that you're serious about an issue like going there face to face. But a lot of us, you know, to be realistic, we have jobs, we have responsibility, we don't have time for that. So certainly if you can call, that's substantial. If they receive enough calls, they will take action. And there's evidence that that works. All you have to do is look at that map and see what activism for net neutrality does. So let's get them. So as you all know, there's been a multitude of lawsuits lobbed against the FCC ever since they decided to unilaterally repeal net neutrality and go against the overwhelming majority of the American people. Now, it seemed as though every single week the FCC was being sued by someone. There were attorneys generals who decided to lead the cause. So now we have attorneys general from 23 different states who are suing the FCC, there are consumer advocacy groups, tech companies, all suing the FCC, and this all amounts to a total of 12 lawsuits against them. However, it's now going to be the case that these lawsuits will all be consolidated into one lawsuit, and basically now, attorneys general, tech companies, and consumer advocacy groups will all be teaming up to sue the FCC, so that's basically one side ...of the fight in this legal battle that we're now learning more about. But who's going to be defending the FCC? We know that Ajit Pai certainly is going to have to defend his repeal order, but he's not doing it alone because there are three main lobbying groups that are deciding to come to the rescue... And defend his repeal of net neutrality. This includes NCTA, CTIA, and US Telecom. Now, what do those acronyms mean? Who are they, and why do we care? Well, as John Broadkin of Ars Technica explains, NCTA represents cable companies such as Comcast, Charter, Cox, and Altis. CTIA represents the biggest mobile carriers such as AT&T, Verizon Wireless, T-Mobile, and Sprint. US Telecom Com represents wireline telcos with copper and fiber networks such as AT&T and Verizon. All three groups also represent a range of smaller ISPs. So we have essentially the entirety of the broadband and telecom industry teaming up to defend Ajit Pai's repeal of net neutrality against the will of their own customers and the American people. They're doing this by proxy of these lobbying firms that they hired. Now, if you'll recall, it was, I believe, Comcast who argued that they would never block or throttle content. However, by defending the FCC's repeal in court, they're pushing for a repeal of regulations that allows them to do just that. And Comcast is already, quote, accidentally blocking legitimate websites like PayPal and Steam. Through their protected browsing option and even though this option can technically be turned off customers may not know that it can be turned off and furthermore it demonstrates that companies don't have to go to greater lengths to ensure that content isn't being blocked now that net neutrality is gone so even if it may be accidental it's still happening and they don't really have to take precautions to ensure that it doesn't happen and there was also another quote accident regarding comcast who decided to inexplicably block an encrypted email service known as to to know them now even though it appears as though this was due to a glitch comcast has decided to remain silent on this issue so understand how despicable these companies like comcast are they tell us that they would never block or throttle content but here they are hiring lobbying firms that are now defending their ability to do this That's what's happening. It's despicable. They are brazenly lying, and the reason why they can lie and get away with it and not face any consumer backlash is because they hold monopolies in most municipalities. So if you don't like Comcast, if you don't like their shady tactics, then what are you going to do, cancel? Well, then you're just left without internet, because in a lot of areas, you have one or two options.
0: You want me to give you the number of a different cable company
1: that can- Oh, wait, we're it, aren't we? So- This is incredibly frustrating, and these companies are absolutely shameless. Now, what does Ajit Pai have to say about this? Is he backing down at all? Well, unfortunately, not only is he not backing down, but he's deciding to be condescending yet again and talk down to the American people as if we're stupid. So as Edward C. Begg of USA Today reports, FCC Chairman Ajit Pai defended his agency's repeal of net neutrality regulations at the Mobile industry's annual conference here, saying the lighter rules set to replace them will amount to... Quote, targeted enforcement. Nobody gets a free pass. The United States is simply making a shift from preemptive regulation, which foolishly presumes that every last wireless company is an anti-competitive monopolist, to targeted enforcement based on actual market failure or anti-competitive conduct, he said. First and foremost, Ajit, it's not foolish to presume that they're going to resort to anti-competitive, anti-consumer conduct because that's what they've been doing, hence the need for net neutrality rules which you just decided to repeal. Now, it's also obviously the case that the overwhelming majority of the American people do not approve of his repeal of net neutrality. So in response to him going against the American people, this is what he had to say. Pai responded that, generally speaking, I would hope that public opinion over time was based more on facts and less on public relations, says the former Verizon attorney. So it's not you who has the facts. It's Ajit Pai who has the facts a former and probably future attorney for Verizon. How condescending is that to suggest that our position is not based on facts, it's based on public relations? Well, first of all, that doesn't even make any sense. Look at these lobbying firms who are hired by the telecom, who are fighting to keep the repeal of net neutrality permanent. I mean, that's public relations. The spin that you're doing, that's a PR spin. You're trying to piss on our legs and tell us that it's raining, as Judge Judy would say, but we know that you are bullshitting us because you are in cahoots with the telecom industry. You're a liar, G. Nobody believes anything that you're saying. So the fact that you continue to gaslight us and tell us that we don't have the facts on our side and we're just influenced by public relations— It's absurd. It's just nothing more than projection. You're the one who's influenced by public relations. You're the one literally teaming up with Verizon to plan skits about how you were a Verizon shill. So, look, this is going to be a really long legal battle ahead of us. I'm really hoping that more and more states take action before the repeal of net neutrality takes effect because regardless if this battle is settled right away or not, which it won't be, even if a judge decides to put a stay on it, I mean, there's going to be a period of time... Where Americans do not have any protections. Now, thankfully, it is the case that states are gearing up to protect net neutrality in a multitude of ways. But the fact remains that if your state doesn't act, net neutrality will be gone by the end of April and certainly by May. So this is going to be a really long legal battle that is certainly not going to be solved anytime soon. But thankfully, there's a lot more people who are fighting for us and tech companies and consumer advocacy groups fighting for us than there are fighting for Ajit Pai. And these companies like Verizon and Comcast, they're kicking and screaming because they want to make sure that what they were able to finally achieve through a show like Ajit Pai doesn't go away. But certainly, it is going to go away if we have anything to say about it. Last week, President Donald Trump nominated former CIA director Mike Pompeo to be the new Secretary of State, and to replace him at the CIA, he nominated Gina Haspel, who is a literal war criminal. Now, when I tell you about Mike Pompeo or Gina Haspel— Any normal, rational-thinking human being is instinctively against these individuals because when it comes to Mike Pompeo, he's a pro-torture warmonger who's hawkish on not only North Korea and Iran, but Russia as well, and he also thinks that Edward Snowden should be killed. And when it comes to Gina Haspel, she's a literal war criminal who gleefully tortured human beings at the behest of the Bush administration. So, Gina Haspel should literally be in a jail cell right Right now, But she is being nominated by President Trump to be the next CIA director, which is a very powerful position for someone so morally bankrupt. So when I heard that President Trump nominated these two individuals, I was repulsed. Any normal person should be repulsed by them once you hear about them. So I thought, even though Democrats, they're terrible, of course they're going to put up a fight, right? They're going to fight Donald Trump on this tooth and nail, right? Well, when it comes to the so-called leader of the resistance in the Senate, Chuck Schumer... He actually indicated that he'd support Mike Pompeo saying, quote, if he's confirmed, we hope that Mr. Pompeo will turn over a new leaf and will start toughening up our policies towards Russia and Putin. So because Mike Pompeo is hawkish with Russia, that's a reason why Chuck Schumer might be inclined to support him. I thought it was the Democratic Party that's supposed to be the liberal anti-war party. And here we have Chuck Schumer basing his vote on Mike Pompeo being a war hawk. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. But not all hope is lost because Democrats are actually being pressured from the left to block both Pompeo and Haspel. Now, I just want to stop for a moment and reflect on that because the fact that we even have to exert any sort of pressure on Democrats whatsoever to resist these two lunatics it pisses me off. Why the fuck do we have to tell the Democratic Party, who labels themselves as the resistance, to not go along with Donald Trump appointing a literal war criminal? They should have been resisting this from the minute it was announced. But the fact that there's even a question or doubt that they'll not resist is absurd. It makes me so angry. Now, going by what Democrats are saying, well, they're not saying very much, and let me tell you, their silence is deafening, because the fact that they won't tell us if they're going to oppose Donald Trump's nominees, the fact that they're being coy in and of itself is a big statement. So when it comes to Diane Feinstein, for example, she actually is one of the senators that hasn't really given us an indication as to where she stands, but... Since she's facing a primary challenge to the left of her, actually two primary challengers who criticized her ambivalence towards Trump's horrific nominations, she's reportedly, quote, moving in the direction of being tougher when it comes to Pompeo and Haspel. Now, when it comes to Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's former VP pick, he actually voted to confirm Mike Pompeo to be the CIA director, and he hasn't stated yet if he'll support him again, even if he did cite major concerns with him being Secretary of State. When it comes to Gene Shaheen, who also voted to confirm Mike Pompeo as CIA director, well, she didn't say whether or not she'd support him as Secretary of State, but, quote, she wants to gauge his answers to budget and personnel questions before deciding how she'll vote. As for Mark Warren, he's being coy with regard to Haspel, saying there's going to be legitimate questions she'll have to answer, but when it comes to Pompeo, He also voted to confirm him as CIA director, so it may very well be the case that he will support his bid to be Secretary of State. And Bill Nelson may have voted against Mike Pompeo to be Trump's CIA director, but he's reportedly open to Gina Haspel. And when it comes to Joe Manchin, he is refusing to state whether or not he will support or oppose Donald Trump's nominations. So the fact that they won't tell us their position is outrageous. The fact that they didn't immediately sound the alarms once these nominations were announced is a scandal in and of itself. They've had, what, a week and a half now to start resisting, and they haven't yet? They still won't tell us if they're going to resist? This party is a fucking joke. They have to be the weakest opposition party in the history of not only U.S. politics, but potentially the world, It's an absolute joke, but there is someone who is deciding to resist Donald Trump. Besides progressives like Bernie Sanders, who expectedly denounced these nominations, Rand Paul is doing a better job resisting than the so-called resistance, the self-proclaimed resistance, a Republican, mind you. So this is what he had to say about Mike Pompeo and Gina
2: Haspel and why he's opposed to them. You know, uh, the president, one of the things I liked about President Trump and still do like is that he continues to say the Iraq war was a mistake. But when you say it's a mistake, basically what you're saying is that regime change in the Middle East leads often to unintended consequences. Well, he keeps appointing people around him who love the Iraq war so much that they're ready for a war with Iran next. And so I don't think you really want people who are eager for war to be running the State Department. You want a diplomat. I frankly think that Pompeo's positions are too much of an advocate for regime change really everywhere. North Korea, Iran, Russia, you name it. And I think really we need to see the world as is. It doesn't mean we need to support what happens everywhere in the world, but I don't think our policy ought to be for regime change. And so I think Pompeo really isn't a good fit to be a diplomat or to be the chief diplomat. With regard to Haspel, I think that you know what america stands for is not torture you know torture's the hallmark of totalitarianism we should be that hope for the rest of the world that people who you know who want to resist totalitarianism that you know they want to be free from torture they don't want to be free to torture and so i really think that she, it's inappropriate to put someone at the head of the cia they have so much power power to assassinate power to spy power to collect all the data on everyone in the world I don't think the person running that agency should be someone who ran a secret prison in Thailand. So what he's making here are common sense points. If you want
1: to be Secretary of State, you should be a diplomat. That's common sense. Now, when it comes to Gina Haspel, he described just how despicable of a person she really is when he made a press statement a couple of days ago. And this really
2: shows just how deplorable Gina Haspel is as a human being. A quote from one of the interrogators says that Gina Haspel said, good job, I like the way you're drooling. This is about Zubede who, as he was being waterboarded. It adds to the re- realism, I'm almost buying it. You wouldn't think a grown man would do that. When you read that, sort of the joyful glee at someone who's being tortured, I find it just amazing that anyone would consider having this woman at the head of the CIA. And so my opposition to her is over her direct participation in interrogation and her gleeful enjoyment at uh, the suffering of someone being tortured. That's who Trump nominated, someone who
1: not only was complicit in torture, but partook in the action. Gleefully so. That morally depraved lunatic is now potentially going to be one of the most powerful people in the country because of Donald Trump. And Rand Paul is one of the few people speaking out, a Republican. It blows my mind, honestly. The state of politics in America is so dismal, I don't think that people will believe just how shitty Democrats are when they go back and read about this time in the history books. So the question is, if Rand Paul opposes them, what is he doing to oppose
2: them specifically? Well, he's taking action. I'll do whatever it takes, and that includes filibuster. I will try to make a point to the American people, and maybe the American people will rise up and say, you know, we stand in solidarity with those who who seek freedom from torture, not the freedom to torture. It's just inconsistent with who we are as a people to have someone run our spy agency that has all this enormous power, who is intimately involved with torture, and from everything we're reading was supportive of the policy. And so, no, I can't support that, and I will do everything I can, including filibuster. You know, filibuster doesn't stop anyone. The only way I would stop anyone is if we convinced, uh, you know, enough senators, and it would take actually a majority, I think, in this case to actually stop their appointment. But, you know, when you read through the torture report that Senator Feinstein put forward— I would hope that she will stand up and say, enough's enough, we're not going to appoint people who made fun of the process. And really, one of the worrisome things about Gina Haspel is she was also involved with destroying the tapes. There were actually videotapes of trying to drown these people and torture them, and these videotapes were destroyed years later. So first she was involved with the waterboarding, and then years later she was involved with destroying the tapes. There's no way in the world that she should be running our spy agencies with all of their power.
1: So Rand Paul has taken a clear stance. He's choosing to resist Donald Trump and be more vocal in his opposition to Trump's nominees than the Democratic Party, who might still go along with them. A literal war criminal who should be in prison. And look, it's not like Rand Paul is a saint I disagree with him on a substantial amount of issues, but at the same time, he's doing something that we should expect the so-called liberal party to do. But the fact of the matter is that resisting is hard and being ambivalent is a lot easier because you, when you really take a stand for what's right, you make yourself a target. Donald Trump may make a mean tweet about you. Uh, You may be attacked by neoconservatives and other Republicans, but Rand Paul actually did get attacked, and this is how he responded to nonsensical attacks on his position.
0: Liz Cheney of Wyoming, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, tweeted about you this week saying, quote, Gina Haspel has spent her career defending the American people and homeland. Rand Paul is defending and sympathizing with terrorists, unquote. Your response?
2: You know uh, juvenile but i think the the cheneys both father and daughter could spend a lifetime trying to justify the thousands of soldiers thousands of iraqis who died in the iraq war which was an unnecessary war made the middle east less stable emboldened iran and really have been wrong about every foreign policy decision of the last four years so i think when they're done explaining why people had to die in iraq why people had to be maimed in iraq and why it really made the situation worse the Chinese can then stand up and try to make uh, some points about other foreign policy but until they prove that they know anything about you know the world i think probably they ought to just be quiet and that's it you simply disregard these attacks because taking a
1: stand taking the right moral position is important it's the democratic party that always boasts about their values and how their values are superior to Republican Party values, but here they are, not taking a stand when this should be a no-brainer. I mean, a war hawk as Secretary of State a war criminal as CIA director, what better opportunity than this to prove to us that your values are superior to that of the Republican parties? But here they are, refusing to tell us where they stand even. All because why? Well, maybe they're afraid of being criticized by Republicans or Donald Trump. Think of how conflict-diverse Democrats really are. They caved just two and a half days into a government shutdown because they were afraid of being blamed for said government shutdown, and this was after they promised dreamers that they'd hold strong. But dreamers are still vulnerable— And the Democratic Party, they've taken all of their bargaining chips and they've flushed them down the toilet. Dreamers are not being protected and they're still not choosing to display any bit of strength whatsoever. And the fact that they're acting so weak allows Republicans and Donald Trump to capitalize on their weakness and take advantage of them. That's why Donald Trump wasn't afraid to nominate someone like Mike Pompeo or Gina Haspel. Because he knows he's going to face little to no opposition from the Democratic Party. The opposition party to someone who they often call a fascist. This is what Democrats say. But what are they doing? Jack fucking shit to oppose him. So as you all know, a Republican senator named Mike Crapo proposed a bill that aims to deregulate Wall Street yet again and this bill, if it actually is codified into law, would pave the way for yet another economic crash. Now, the reason why this bill actually passed was because Democrats went along with it. In fact, 17 sellout Democrats voted with Republicans to deregulate Wall Street and repeal the rules that were codified into law by President Obama in Dodd-Frank, and that includes Bennett, Carper, Coons, Donnelly, Hassan, Heitkamp, Jones, Kane, King, Manchin, McCaskill, Nelson, Peters, Shaheen, Stabenow, Tester, and Warner. Now, the reason why every single one of these Democrats decided to vote with Republicans and deregulate Wall Street is because they take money from wall street so it's really clear when you look at why they voted the way they voted progressives like myself automatically realize of course all you have to do is follow the money it's that simple now unfortunately for one journalist who published an op-ed in the new york times Well, he just can't seem to figure out why Democrats did what they did. Why on earth would they vote to deregulate Wall Street and strip away consumer protections if they know this is all problematic? Well, allow me to tell you why they did what they did. But let's get to his argument first. Why would some Democrats provide support for a rollback of Dodd-Frank? Proponents argue that this bill provides much-needed relief for community banks and credit unions, which these proponents claim face enormous difficulties. They also say that it doesn't endanger financial reforms aimed against the largest and most dangerous players, but that view is mistaken. This bill goes far beyond the health of community banks and credit unions. It removes protections for 20 of the top 38 banks, weakens regulations on the biggest players, and encourages them to manipulate regulations for their benefit, and saps consumer protections. What do Democrats get in return? Nothing substantive that they should want. They could demand better funding for regulators, or an appointment to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or a vote on gun control. You know, I just can't seem to figure it out, guys. Why on earth would Democrats vote to deregulate the big banks? I mean, what would they get in return? (laughs) Look, this article, to be fair, the author went into great detail about why this bill is incredibly harmful. But in an article literally titled, Why Are Democrats Helping Trump Dismantle Dodd Frank?, you have to address the gigantic elephant in the room. The reason why these sellout Democrats like Tim Kaine decided to vote to deregulate Wall Street, even if it means another huge economic crash, is because they're sellouts. So as you can see from a tweet put together by Public Citizen... Well, there's about 3.9 million reasons why Bennett voted the way he did. There's over half a million reasons why Carper voted the way he did. Nearly a million reasons why Coons voted the way that he did. There is 1.3 million reasons for Donnelly, 1.4 million for Heitkamp, nearly a million for Doug Jones, 2.3 million for Tim Kaine, over 300,000 reasons why Angus King voted the way he did, nearly 700,000 for Manchin, 1.7 million for McCaskill, 2.2 million million for Peters, 1.8 million for Tester, 3.5 million for Warner. All of those millions of reasons are exactly why Democrats voted the way that they did. And that graphic only includes the 13 Democrats that decided to co-sponsor this bill and put their name on it. But overall, 17 voted for this bill. And yes, you guessed it, each and every single one of them took money from large financial institutions, the big banks, Wall Street, they're all sellouts. Why else would you vote for a bill that's so reckless? Not only does it strip away consumer protections, but it sets the stage for another crash. Why would you do that? If you're a sellout, And you're also an oligarch who has nothing to lose. So even though this journalist did a fantastic job explaining the intricate details about this bill, well, unless you address the crux of the issue, why they voted this way to begin with, it's going to keep happening. And it's not just Wall Street that influences the decisions of lawmakers. It's all types of industries. Why won't Republicans support gun reform? Well, obviously, it's because they're being bankrolled by the NRA. Why is it that lawmakers in both parties continuously support war- and U.S. imperialism, even if the American people don't like that, what's well, because they're taking money from defense contractors. Anytime you're curious as to why a lawmaker did something that the American people don't like, all you have to do is follow the money. So, the fact that it has to be spelled out for a journalist in the New York Times, which I'm told is the most prestigious news outlet in the country, it's a little embarrassing. Now, again, I don't want to shit all over this journalist because he did a fantastic job laying out the intricacies and the nuances of the spill and specifically how it will be a disaster. But I mean, how can you not know why they voted the way they did? How can you not mention money in politics at all? And see, therein lies the problem with media, generally speaking. Usually, print outlets are better at this, although this is an exception to the rule. But Nobody ever cites just how prevalent money in politics really is, just how corrupt our lawmakers are. You can usually predict the way a vote will go by looking at a lawmaker's financial contributions. Almost always. Big money rules all when you live in an oligarchy. And when you look at studies, specifically one from Princeton University by Dr. Gillens and Page, they found that... When it comes to policy outcomes and normal citizens' preferences, we have a statistically non-significant impact on policy outcomes. Special interests and elites, they actually have a statistically significant impact on policy outcomes. How crazy is that? What does that tell you? We live in an oligarchy. That's the only conclusion you can take away from that type of study and other studies that yield the same results. We live in an oligarchy. That's why Democrats voted the way that they did. It's no mystery. All you have to do is follow the money. The Illinois primaries took place, and there were a couple of primary races to look out for. Of course, the gubernatorial race was one. Uh, There were a couple of other races that were really important, one featuring Anthony Clark, a Justice Democrat, and another featuring Dan Lipinski, who is basically a Republican. I don't honestly know why he chooses to remain a Democrat. Uh, There was a lot of controversy when uh, Nancy Pelosi decided to endorse him, but this is an individual who is against gay rights. He's against abortion. He's socially and economically conservative, yet he remains a Democrat. So how did he do against his progressive primary opponent, Marie Newman? Well, unfortunately, he edged out and ended up winning. Now, there is a chance that the results could change because at the time I'm reporting on this, not all precincts have uh, finished their count. I'm crossing my fingers, but at this point, the New York Times is calling it for Dan Lipinski, even if it's very, very close. So we have a conservative Democrat bringing down the entire party, but hey, at least Nancy Pelosi gets what she wants as, you know, the leader of the Democratic Party in the House, right? Because it's up to her to whip up votes for legislation and for her party. Oh, wait, he votes against her. (laughs) Now... Coming to another race that I was watching was with a progressive, actually a Justice Democrat, Anthony Clark, and unfortunately he lost, you know, quite a bit. It it was a really large margin, unfortunately, that he lost to. Another really interesting race was the gubernatorial race, and it turns out that the Democratic Party just got their own version of Donald Trump because a billionaire named J.B. Pritzker won that primary, and at this point... I don't even know what to say about the state of American politics, so according to Reed Wilson of The Hill, billionaire investor and philanthropist J.B. Pritzker is the Democratic nominee to be the next governor of Illinois. After outspending his opponents by tens of millions of dollars, Pritzker spent a jaw-dropping $63 million on his bid for the Democratic nomination, including more than $33 million on television advertising, far more than Biss or Kennedy. Observers said Pritzker's money made the difference. So pretty much all you Need to know about Pritzker is that he's a billionaire. Do we need any more billionaires in politics? It's bad enough that they're buying politicians, but now they're just choosing to cut out the middleman and run themselves. And now, part of me—I hope I'm wrong—thinks that this is going to be the Democratic Party's Trump. They are going to try to push him because they think, oh well, you know, America's uh, Americans opted for a billionaire, so why don't we put up our own billionaire? And we just so happen to have the governor of Illinois, who's also a billionaire. Maybe um, voters will go for him as well. And look, if you want to learn more about him, you can learn about half of what you need to know by watching the following ad.
0: Illinois is coming together with a common purpose, beating Bruce Rauner. It's time to create jobs here. It's time to invest in our roads and our bridges. It's time for us to invest in quality education for every child. It's time to bring universal health care to Illinois. This is a battle for our
1: values.
0: So I ask you, are you ready for the fight?
1: So, (laughs) I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but why was Dick Durbin standing there awkwardly as he was speaking? So look, if you want to know what type of a Democrat Pritzker is, well, you can kind of get a hint by looking at this photo because that's actually Bill Clinton. He's a Clinton Democrat, and I refer to him as an Establishment Democrat, but he is somewhat different than other Establishment Democrats because he does seem to be at least a little bit more politically astute. Than other Democrats. So he does still pivot to platitudes, but only about 50% of the time. The other 50% of the time, he actually doesn't just talk about values and platitudes, but he actually does state policy positions, albeit vague policy positions, but I mean policy positions nonetheless. Now, in that video, he talked about ideas that he has, and it's a little bit misleading. So he said that he's in favor of universal health care for Illinois. Now, if you think that that means he's in favor of single payer, he's lying to you and gaslighting you because really he's in favor of universal affordable health care. Because when you visit his website, that's what he is championing. He's making sure that every single citizen in Illinois is able to have access to affordable health care. Unfortunately for you, JB, that's not universal healthcare. I know as a billionaire, you think that that constitutes healthcare that's universal, but it doesn't. If someone can still die or go bankrupt if they can't afford health insurance, even if it's $1, that's not universal healthcare. And I'll be honest, overall, he's not awful. I think he's a mixed bag because even if he does support legalizing marijuana, He's still not a progressive, but he might be a little bit better than other establishment Democrats. He's certainly better than Dan Lipinski, but I mean, he's against Medicare for all, even if he refers to his plan as universal health care. It's not. He also doesn't mention free college or student debt cancellation. He makes no mention of net neutrality on his website. However, even if he might be slightly better than regular establishment Democrats, he's still a billionaire a billionaire is fundamentally incapable of representing average citizens because they have no idea what us peasants are dealing with. You're a billionaire. You fly in private jets. You have a bunch of rich friends. You're in a bubble. There's absolutely no way you even have any clue what normal Americans are going through. So we might not be as bad as, you know, the rest of the party, but he's still, he's no gem and he's a billionaire. And as David Sirota pointed out on Twitter, this billionaire will be facing off against the Republican private equity firm Mogul come November. So in the end, um, I think that the results in Illinois were pretty disappointing. We've got Dan Lipinski, even if it was just by a razor-thin margin. He ran as a Democrat when he is more conservative than some Republicans, literally, like Rand Paul. He's more conservative than Rand Paul. And then you guys voted in a billionaire who may be your next governor, and if he loses, then you get a private equity firm mogul. Money in politics rules everything, and because this privileged prick was able to pretty much outraised his opponents. That's why he was able to win. Again, I want to read you the quote. Observers said Pritzker's money made the difference. Nine times out of ten, that is the case. Literally, studies show that nine times out of ten, the candidate with more money wins. It's not a guarantee, but certainly, it increases the likelihood of electoral victory. That's why we need to get money out of politics, because once we finally do that, we'll have politicians that... Aren't corrupt anymore, and we'll have a different country as a result. So, the mainstream media in America is so dismal that they very rarely speak about anything that's substantive. And the reason why the mainstream media is so terrible is because it is owned by large multinational corporations. And the reason why even corporations that don't have anything to lose in talking about specific issues don't talk about specific issues is because their advertisers are large multinational corporations. So when you have a mainstream media that is owned and operated... By large multinational corporations, you get a media like we see in the United States. You get CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, all biased, all making sure that they don't ruffle any feathers. So there was a town hall that Bernie Sanders decided to do. He teamed up with independent news outlets like now this and The Young Turks to talk about income and wealth inequality. And just the need for this type of town hall where they talk about a substantive issue like this... It really should be embarrassing for the mainstream media and let them know that they should talk about it more often, but of course, they're not going to talk about this because why would they? Talking about a real issue that affects most Americans, that's not going to get you as much views or money, maybe ad revenue, as talking about Russia, Stormy Daniels, or Don Jr. would. So, that's why they choose to ignore it. So, Bernie Sanders, during this town hall, they were talking about income and wealth inequality, but he did make a broader point about... Uh, Mainstream Media and Michael Moore, who is also on this panel, jumped in. And I wanted to share with you what they had to say. I have a two-year-old grandson. I'm concerned about his future. And I'm concerned whether or not he'll be able to do as well as me because of the structures that we have
0: in place now. The One issue that I would add, and maybe Michael can jump in on this one, is how often have you guys seen on television any discussion of poverty in America? You ever seen it? Virtually not at all, 40 million people struggling. And what I would say to our friends in the corporate media, start paying attention to the reality of how many people in our country are struggling economically every single day. Let's talk about that issue. Mike? Yes. But, uh, I was just in West Virginia, you were in West Virginia recently. Uh, they had an amazing victory, the teacher strike, yes. in West Virginia. And this is a union. This union brought down the state apparatus. at 75% women in this union. And they rose up. And, it, and Bernie, I didn't see hardly anything in the corporate media about this. On any of the networks. Even some of the networks that we watch were, you know, Russia, turn the channel. Russia, 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 Russia. And I'm not saying that's not now important. Now about Stormy Daniels. Yeah, man. no, no, okay. <laughs> Stormy Daniels and, uh, and Don Jr. And, you know, uh, whoever else. All the shiny keys to distract us. That's what goes on in the media. All the other things that we, they talk about. And we should be seeing this this we should see we should know about the West Virginia teacher strike and the victory what inspiration that would be around the country if they if you saw people in West Virginia do this who they haven't had a strike like this in forever and it's they don't show this Bernie because what would happen if they did what would happen in a so-called conservative red state teachers stood up and fought back and won yes
1: Now, there was a lot of great moments from that town hall, so I will include the link down below, but what they said there was incredibly important. Michael Moore, he admitted, yeah, these networks that we watch, they talk about Russia, Russia, Russia. Um, we had Bernie Sanders say, well, they're focusing on Stormy Daniels, and that's true. That's all they seem to focus on. If you turn on CNN nine times out of ten, they're going to be talking about something that... Is a scandal. Same with MSNBC. They're mostly focused on Russia. And then when it comes to Fox News, you just see General Hackery. I mean, these are stations that I used to trust. But over time, it became more and more apparent that MSNBC had an agenda, and that agenda directly coincided with what the Democratic Party establishment wants, and what the Democratic Party establishment wants is exactly what their corporate donors want. Because again, our mainstream media is corporatized. We have a free press only insofar as that free press doesn't offend multinational corporations in this country, who also happen to be legally viewed as people. Now, I do actually have a little bit of criticism for Bernie Sanders here as well, because if you want the mainstream media to stop focusing on scandals and issues that don't matter, then you have to stop being complicit and allowing them to do that. You have to stop legitimizing them. So when they talk about Russia, 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 Russia 24-7, you can't legitimize it because this Russia issue, it's really not that important. Russia, a Russian troll farm posting memes I don't think that had much sway over the 2016 election, and certainly if this issue is important, and as important as lawmakers want us to think, then they could do a lot of things. They could do what Tulsi Gabbard did and introduce paper ballots, but they're not doing that. All they're trying to do is use this as a means to an end, and that end is to impeach Donald Trump. And certainly when it comes to big websites like YouTube, what they're doing, and Kyle Kalinske, credit to him, talks about this all the time, they're using this to censor independent media. So the state of media in this country is terrible. and. I don't think people in the media understand the amount of power and influence they have. When you look at political science studies and sociological studies and even psychological studies, they show that the media has agenda-setting power. So if they think Russia is important, That's going to be what everyone in the country thinks is important. It's what Republicans did with Benghazi. So even if Benghazi was a big nothing burger, MSNBC was also forced to cover it because Fox News was covering it and generating a lot of ratings because of their coverage of Benghazi. Now, even if MSNBC was trying to debunk Benghazi, they were still talking about Benghazi quite a bit. So media, not only can they set the agenda and what's important, but they also raise the salience of issues. So not only do you think something is important, but they can control how important you think something is. So if you think that Stormy Daniels is more important than climate change, the media can make you think that way all by basically talking about something repetitiously. It may not have that same effect on all of us. A lot of us just tune out mainstream media. But for the most part, what they have is a lot of sway. So imagine if the media covered income inequality or climate change as much as they talked about Russia or Stormy Daniels. All of a sudden, the rest of the country would realize just how important climate change is. But they don't do that because, again they're owned and operated by large multinational corporations and they do the bidding of the parties who are also owned and operated by large multinational corporations. We don't really have a free country anymore. We live in an oligarchy where big money runs all and the reason why the media sucks is because large multinational corporations say what they can and can't cover. I don't think that they're in every production meeting but certainly these pundits they know the parameters of what's appropriate for them to talk about and what's not appropriate for them to talk about. And sometimes they just explicitly say we're part of the establishment, like MSNBC's president told Jen Uger when he worked for MSNBC. So These networks are just despicable. And the fact that Bernie brought it up, I think that's really important. Now, there's a reason why Bernie himself probably doesn't harp on the mainstream media uh, more than he should. That's because if he does, then they're going to do what they did to him in 2016 if he chooses to run in 2020. They're going to have another blackout. So, I mean, we just have this self-perpetuating cycle of corporate media not doing its job. And in large part, we have Bill Clinton to thank, who signed the Telecommunications Act of 1996, because you have less options now, and you have only corporate options unless you go to YouTube to um, find independent news and... The climate for independent media, it's difficult. It's really tough right now because of YouTube changes to their algorithm, um, advertiser changes. It's difficult. So it's just, it's frustrating. It feels like we've been thrown in a ditch and there's no way for us to get out of it. One way would be for people to turn off the mainstream media and focus on independent media, but how do we facilitate that type of shift? It'd have to be A societal like a cultural wide shift to stop paying attention to what the mainstream media wants and start watching more independent news shows like this one now of course i'm self-interested and biased and i want people to do that but at the same time i care about this country and i think that people need to stop watching mainstream media because it's not serving them well in fact it's harmful we did a segment about the policies President Donald Trump is implementing that are slowly killing Americans. Now, if you thought that he was a cruel bastard when it comes to human life, You'd be correct. But his administration is doing more things that fly in the face of respect for life. Not just human life, but animal life as well. Because as Nicole Goodkind of Yahoo News reports, the Trump administration officially withdrew an Obama-era rule that would set higher standards for the treatment of animals whose meat could be sold as organic. The rule, created under the United States Department of Agriculture, would require poultry to be housed in spaces large enough to move freely and fully stretch their wings. Livestock would be required to have some access to outdoor space year-round. The USDA officially overturned the rule Monday after delaying its implementation three times. It was first created in 2016 and built on seven years of deliberation. The rule was poised to hurt large-scale organic egg farms that house up to 180,000 birds in one barn," said the Organic Trade Association, which represents organic farmers. Some of these farms house as many as three egg-laying hens per square foot, with no time spent outdoors. In contrast, Organic Valley, one of the most popular medium-scale organic producers in the United States, provides each bird with five square feet of space. In Europe, birds are given 43 square feet. Six out of ten American say that it's highly important that animals used to produce organic food are raised on farms with higher standards of animal welfare. More than half of Americans say it's highly important that animals used to produce organic food are able to go outside and move freely. So this regulation was barely on the books for a couple of years, and they're doing away with it already. It was a massive accomplishment when it was passed a small step in the right direction, and he's doing away with it. But that's not all, because if you care about animal welfare, then earlier in the month, Donald Trump's administration did something else that not only is egregious, but it encourages a behavior that is so obscene. It can only be described as murder. As Rachel Newer of the New York Times reports, the United States has moved to allow hunters to import big-game trophies, including elephant tusks and lion hides, acquired in certain African countries with approvals granted on an individual basis. The decision, reported in a memorandum published last week by the Federal Fish and Wildlife Service, overturns an Obama-era ban on some trophies and contradicts public statements by President Trump who had endorsed the restrictions. So not only is this policy change disgusting, but it serves as yet another broken promise of Donald Trump. Because on the campaign trail, he stated that he supports these rules and he wouldn't overturn them, but here he is overturning these rules, presumably so his two idiot sons can do some big game hunting and import those, quote, trophies back to the United States. But the good news about that part of the story is that animal advocacy groups are suing the Interior Secretary, Ryan Zink, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's still going to go into effect because these are things that his administration is doing unilaterally. There isn't no debate about it, no discussion. They're just being changed like that. So, Donald Trump has absolutely no respect for life on this planet. Not only does he not care about human life and is doing things that will kill humans, but he's doing things that increase suffering that already exists when it comes to other types of organic life on this planet. And also, he doesn't care about climate change, decided to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord, which didn't do nearly enough. So, he also hates the planet, doing things that will literally kill the planet, this is an administration that, I mean, this isn't too surprising, but it doesn't have any regard for life whatsoever. And it's absolutely despicable. And this is the big reveal. We are now in our brand new studio, and I could not be more excited to show you guys everything that we got. You know, it's a bunch of new toys uh, for me to, I would say, play with, but I still don't really know how to use a lot of the stuff that we have, and some of the equipment still isn't hooked up, and some of it is still coming, so, you know, it's a work in progress, but for the most part, it is finished, and this is our new permanent studio, and it is so awesome, so I'm gonna show you guys what I see, um, so, as you all can see uh, behind me, we have the uh, brick wall, we have over here our 100,000 subscriber uh, silver play button and then a letter from the YouTube CEO that just says nice things about me being able to reach 100,000 subscribers. I'd prefer that you stop hiding our videos from subscribers and unsubscribing people and uh, stop demonetizing us, but I'll take a plaque too, I guess. It's better than nothing, right? But anyways, let me switch cameras. I wanna show you guys what I see. I don't know how to do that. at my fingertips. So this is what I look at. So there's the camera and there is the field monitor so now I can see myself if I am out of focus or something like that. This just, it helps so much and it is even big enough so I can actually see it. So let me go ahead and stop that. This is one thing that I like to be able to do. Um, So let me show you what's behind me. We have both of the uh, monitors right here. And then we also have the thumb drive that's playing whatever's behind us. We have our big monitor, but you already know what that is. And then we have this light that we're using. I actually just took this from my living room. We're supposed to have another light that will really beam on the wall, but basically it's lost in the mail. So yeah, but let me uh, turn on the lights here and show you the rest of the studio. So when you walk in... We have a new board for me to write things because I am very absent-minded, so if I don't write it down, then I'm probably going to forget about it. We have a little mirror just to make sure that I don't have like a booger in my nose or anything. Um, And you know, it's it's just nice to kind of see what's going on. We have all of our cables and stuff, the Elgato cam link, which I have no idea how to uh, fix. Not fix. how to use, which is like half the shit here. And then on this side, we have all of this stuff. So I wanted to um, put Bernie Sanders' book, the pop Final, and then get other books from progressives and just put it like on this side, kind of like you saw from the mockup. But the problem with that is it looked super cluttered and then the microphone blocked it. So overall, I ended up canning that, but thankfully we didn't spend any money on this for like the studio fund. Um, This is just shit that I had that I bought like before. Um, We also have a board. Another board for me to write like upcoming appearances and more notes, and yes, I'll be on the Discourse and get your news on with Ron, and we have water with my um, special Pugs on Drugs cup, definitely something that I am a fan of, and I also have um, pug slippers on, so you can tell I'm definitely homosexual You know, when you see a little bit more. Um, yeah. We have everything right here that we need to record. We have B-roll, and that means that we have like uh, videos and pictures. Um, that you'll see on the screen when I'm talking about politicians, so you're not just looking at my face. Um, This is basically our control panel. This is where all of my notes are on the iPad, and you know, we have to get this to raise it up because it's, you know, I have very bad vision, yes, I need to go to the eye doctor. That's what we have for now. We have this connecting everything um, back here. Um, Yeah, and then we have these new lights that are really fancy. I don't want to mess with the settings because I feel like they're kind of perfect. So if I mess with them, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a little bit fucked up. But yeah, this is pretty much the new studio. Um, We have foam padding all the way up to the top. And then we actually have some blackout curtains to make sure that this doesn't get faded. Um, And yeah, that's it. So hopefully you guys like the new studio and the tour. You know, it's not much. It's a small room, but it's, it's still perfect. You know, I couldn't be more excited about this. Um, so yeah, that's what we got. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the new studio. Um, thanks to anyone who decided to chip in to fund it. Yeah. That's all I got for you guys today. This is our very first episode in the new studio, and I hope that you liked the new studio. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, getting used to everything is going to take some time for me and we're still implementing more changes to the show, putting in new equipment. So, you know, um, I'm anticipating a lot of growing pains, but at the same time, this is really exciting. So thank you all so much who funded the studio on GoFundMe. And also thank you to all of our regular Patreon and PayPal contributors because you guys help the show not only to thrive, but survive. And I think I butchered that talking point that I always say, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It's a new studio. We're, we're growing. there's going to be some complications and difficulties. And sometimes equipment might glitch out and I might glitch out personally speaking. So that's cool. So anyways, thank you all so much for watching. I will see you all next week. Take care. That's kind of weird because I'm giving myself applause, but whatever. (laughs) Until next time.